Uh, it's almost like if you take a telephoto lens versus a wide angle lens. Telephoto lenses are gonna be able to you know, compress the background a little bit more than say a wide angle lens will. Where usually if you shoot the same shot on a 200 millimeter versus a 24 millimeter, 24 mil is usually gonna have almost everything in focus. Unless you're like right up on that, right up on that lens. Uh, like the 70 to 200, people love to shoot headshots with it or interviews with it because it throws the background. Nice, I love that focus. lens. Yeah, it's a sexy lens. I'm a it's fan. a really sexy lens. If I were a lens and I ever saw that lens, I'd be like, "What's up, seventy two hundred? How you doing? How you doing? Greetings, internet. Welcome to the Wedding Video Boss podcast, where we talk about the business side of being a wedding creative and a sneak peek into my world as a very handsome videographer. Technical stuff is never my strong suit, so I always ask people whenever I have questions about my equipment. Out of all the people that I've bothered, my next guest is probably the one that I've pestered the most. So, to put an end to this, he obliged me and finally is a guest on my show. We're going to put all of my questions on record so I don't have to ask him anymore. I hope you're ready for two things. Number one, to know all the technical stuff that you need to know about your camera. And two, to find out how clueless I am when it comes to this. Okay, 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 okay. Peter is already putting on lip balm, which means he's ready for this episode that I should have called Technical Foul. Peter is a comic, host, actor, and producer in Los Angeles. He grew up in Nebraska, but had enough of all the corn, so he moved to Texas. There he started living the dream as a construction worker and acted on the side. Having a few commercials and movies under his belt, he moved to Los Angeles and now he does stand up all over the US and is currently working in Canon as a cinema EOS representative. Friends, let's welcome Peter Marr. Hey Peter. Hey Paul. How How's you? it going? Good man. Nice to see you. You too. Your hair looks nice. Oh, you too. Welcome to the Silver Fox Club of <laughs> California. Oh, so I, I thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Anything for you, Paul. Thank you. And um, first, to break the ice, I want you to tell us something about yourself that the audience, the listeners probably don't know about you. I have a feeling none of your listeners know anything about me, so I could say anything at this point. Um <laughs> uh, I'm a pro market rep for, for Canon. I also do stand-up, and I still have a construction company that floats in the background, so I try to keep busy. What kind of um, stand-up do you do? Um, the kind uh, where you get on a stage, uh, you stand. Sometimes you can sit, but mostly stand. Uh, oh, that explains it. But, uh, you know, it's mostly uh, just stuff that I find hilarious. I try not to get too political about anything. I try not to... Uh, be mean more or less there's no real need need or reason to be that way but uh you know i just got married a year and a half ago so that congratulations thanks man it's uh it's about uh it's about 90 percent of that right now that's that's what it's about what's the deal with the wife oh my god <laughs> so when you do stand up it tell me something about stand up because um i'm always curious about the stool on stage <laughs> is there a <laughs> There's, is there a reason for it? Is there a reason for if you want to sit down? Instead? Yeah, it's a it's a great place to put a drink. It's a great place to uh, to sit down if you really need to. Um, I don't know the origin of the stool though. 
I wonder if I wonder if there's like a class that would teach us that. Because Ma- um, maybe it's a. I don't it's, know. It's a, a good w- prop too. Yeah, because there's a mic stand. There's a mic stand. Sometimes could be a hockey stick, could be a detonator, could be anything. The yeah, stool. yeah. But that stool is just an eyesore. Like, why would you sit on a stool when you're walking around stage with you know a lot of people? Anyway. Yeah, everybody's different. I take the stool and I usually just kind of throw it in the back. I huck it in the back of the room um, as soon as I get up there. I'm like, screw this stool. Paul would never. I would never this. approve. Never. Right. Okay, so um, let's talk about your origin story. Ooh. How did you get into how the get business? Into the biz. Um, actually, I started working for a company that. Um, yeah, I actually it was around two thousand and one. And I started working for a company that was subcontracted and I started working a lot of trade shows and I started training on consumer video cameras back in the early 2000s. And that was a hoot, man, going into every Best Buy and Fry's. And I don't know if you remember the store, The Good Guys or Circuit City. Yeah, I used to go in and train these people on, um, you know, consumer camcorders, tape-based, mini-DV tape. I don't know if you ever Oh, mini-DV tapes. Oh, They're great. Love it. High-8 tapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was right around that time where high-8s were starting to merge out and mini-DVs were starting to take over. And um, it was, yeah. And I remember the advent of putting SD cards into a video camera and also when they started going uh, full hard drive camcorders. And now they're, man, it's so fun to actually watch the evolution of what it was to what it is now. It's a different world, man. Different world. So now I'm trying to figure out why people stuck with DSLRs. Because when during the time of the XHA1s and the GL2s, was there like a standard camera? Because right now there's camcorders that like the C100 Mark IIs or the FS700s or something. Mm-hmm. I wonder why people still stick to DSLRs. Is it because of... Well, I think it's mostly size and weight and portability. And, you know, the fact that once you shoot video on a DSLR, it's usually fairly simple. I mean, it's just shutter aperture, frame rate, ISO. Uh, For a long time, DSLRs were full manual focus. You can really autofocus on them now. You can basically autofocus on any of them. But I also think the size of the image sensor, the mount that you can put whatever lens you want, if you want to tilt shift, if you want a wide angle, fisheye, telephoto, you can put any lens on there. It's almost like when the 5D Mark II came out and it was the first DSLR that could shoot video. And I, you know, I just remember everybody was like, wow, it's a full frame sensor and you can put any lens you want on it. And, you know, just the low light's really nice on them in general. Uh, yeah. And to be honest with you, my first camera, I shot DSLRs for years. I think I, I remember uh, my first camera was a Canon T2i. Solid camera, man. That was out for a long time. Yeah. 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 Pretty. Do you still have it? No. I, I bought a T3i and I still have the T3i. <laughs> <laughs> Solid camera, man. Where'd it go? I like the T2i because it's uh, when it started out, it just gave us the satisfaction of... Because I remember I shot with a uh, Canon XHA1, those big... Yeah. Big uh, mini DV cameras. Yeah, man. And people used to put adapters to it so that you could put like a um, DSLR, uh, a, a lens. Yeah. A camera lens. And yeah. it made the video look so good. 
Yeah, it's funny. I actually ran across somebody had a, somebody sent me a photo of an XL2. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. An XL2, I think it was over at Sammy's camera somewhere. I think it was Culver City. Sent me a photo. I was like, 300 bucks. Should I get it? It comes with seven <laughs> tapes. I'm like, dude, that is an awesome camera to put on a shelf, man. That's great. But yeah, no, that was the that was the first big, big, huge camera that really made a wave out of out of that world. I remember selling my XHA1 for 500 bucks. Really? And the the guy who came here, he's like, um, I'll give you 480. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Take it. And then I slapped his face. Uh, <laughs> you should have yeah. slapped him. Should, <laughs> what a buffoon. Yeah. It was it was great. Did you ever have the hard drive option on it where you could plug it into the firewire port? Did you ever do that? No. Yeah. I've seen that before where they're like, Oh, it's like one gigabyte of information. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a great. A whole gig for seven hundred dollars. That's great. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. All right. So I I invited you here because Oh yeah, th- so I wanted I invited you here because you're really good with technical stuff like you're one of the only people that i talk to that doesn't make technical stuff sound so boring so how did you get to that point i'm a big fan of carl sagan and if carl sagan can explain the universe to 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 anybody i felt you know what if i can explain a camera to anybody then i'll never be like carl sagan but i would love to at least get on that train you know what i'm saying and also you know it's just Look, man, everybody has their own thing that they do. Like, if I had to explain to you how to build a house from the foundation up, I think I could do it. You know, if uh, if I had to explain to you, which I think we're going to talk about, like, dynamic range and gamut and sensors. Yeah, let's explain it into a way where you can actually understand so it helps you get your job done a lot easier, a lot faster, and you know what's going on inside the camera so you can, you know, work with it and see what the thing does. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. actually it does, yeah. So since we're already talking about technical stuff, I because I've been shooting for since two thousand and four, so it's been like fifteen years, and I'm not a very technical person. <laughs> so whenever a new camera comes out and they're like, "Oh, it does this and it does that," I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> what does it mean?" Like, yeah, yeah. So for me and for the other people who aren't technical, let's talk about the technical stuff of cameras and sure. what do we really need to consider when before buying a camera copy that uh the first thing i would always say is just consider a what you're shooting and b what your deliverable is so you know like 4k everybody wants 4k but to be honest with you 4k is not distributed as much as people probably think it is right now you know give it a few years i'm sure things are going to change but um, with the advent of like H.265, which is a new codec that essentially takes double the information and throws it into the same packet size that you would get from an HD signal. So it's like, you know, double or technically four times the resolution in, in a package that's the same size as, you know, the memory card that you put in a DSLR that shoots HD. So things are changing. That's been out for a little while. It's it's probably going to hit mainstream pretty soon. Um the other thing to think about too is what's your budget? Who's your client? Do you do you need to have something that, you know, when you show up on set or at a location and you're, you know you're shooting with something that's the size of a phone, or you know, do you need something on your shoulder or do you need you know a lens package? Also, a lot of it really determines on 
um, lighting conditions, if you're going to have your own clothes set, or if you're going to have light controlled, if it's going to be out of control, if you're outside and you don't know when you're going to stop shooting or when you're going to start shooting, so to speak. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but I think first and foremost is what are you shooting and what's your deliverable? That's a good point. Because for us, we don't really, I still don't see the romance the romance in 4k because our cl- our clients don't really see it right they still pay us full price and they don't complain so i'm like you know what let's just stick to you know what we have and that's yeah. why i'm still happy with the cameras and we have and our cameras are probably like at least three years old and you know st- they're still great um but then when it comes to price wedding videographers probably like 500 bucks <laughs> Is there are there any cameras out there? Yeah, you can find one. You can yeah, find a yeah. few. Yeah, definitely. Or we could just buy a GL two. <laughs> Four three aspect ratio, like a square. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. great. Like a flashback. That's funny. It's funny. My wife was my wife's a huge fan of watching uh, Top Chef, and so she went back to revisit season one. I walk in the living room. I'm like, whoa, that's from like 2006, and it's you know four yeah. three. Is that an Instagram video? It's yeah, square. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What that, year is this, honey? That's actually a good idea. You'd make Instagram videos with old cameras. Well, it's funny you say that because a lot of people are shooting uh, 90 degrees now when they shoot Instagram videos because of the aspect ratio. Oh. Yeah, so if you ever see, and you know, you'll you'll run into this from time to time where somebody just takes a camera and goes 90 degrees like you're going to do you know, a, a vertical shot and they'll roll video on it because when you do an Instagram story, that's what you see. That's essentially the aspect ratio you see. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to see even that for Instagram stories, because most of the time you you make these videos and you zoom it in for to to maintain that aspect ratio. Yeah. And it's zoomed in, so people don't really see the difference. Right. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay. So I'll ask you. Uh, well, I I'm really curious about what cameras people need to get in different aspects of the wedding industry so for example like a photographer who wants to get into videography what are the specs that they should look into before they get uh, another camera because they usually have their own cameras already but and it's probably going to be like a at least a canon 5d mark 3 or a sony a7 i don't know I, i shoot canon so i have no idea but I've been hearing like Sony has really good photos too. Mm-hmm. But what what else should um, photographers need to consider when it comes to getting another camera? Well, if are you specifically talking for a B camera or one that like they can shoot video on, dedicated video or dedicated photo backup or just a second camera for what they're using? Just a second camera for not really a B cam, <clears throat> not really a B camera, but. A camera, just in case, for like the 5D Mark III. The 5D Mark III's don't have autofocus, you know. Right. So like a second camera for video. Copy that. Yeah, like the, the 5D Mark IVs have the autofocus built in. You know, the R's, the mirrorless cameras have autofocus built in. The other thing, too, if you're going to run a camera for more than a half an hour and you don't want to have to go back and hit start and stop or reset, usually a video camera will take care of that because they'll shoot for the longer record times. You know, they're they're built for 
That's that's essentially what they're built for. Once you get into a cinema camera, that's when you know you're either going to have that mount, like an EF or a PL mount. But when you get into a cinema camera, most companies will give you more dynamic range or more colors, like a wider color gamut you can choose from. But again, what it comes down to is, is your client going to see that too? Are they going to have a TV that actually plays back 4K? Are you going to be able to deliver that 4K or you know HD or 2K, whatever, whatever you're going to be shooting? But yeah, as long as it will match up, and you can almost make any camera match another camera, uh, but usually if you keep it in the same family or the same brand, you know, the color science is going to be, you know, very, very similar to itself. Um, but yeah, Ooh. we, we have, we have, like, I have clients that mix and match cameras all day long. And if, you know, they have the time to, to, to match it up and post, which really doesn't take that long, not a problem at all. And then every camera is different. You know, you got tiny little cameras that can, you know, like if you had like a GoPro or a Vixia mini X, you know, you could leave it up in a corner and you could do a time lapse with a wide angle lens on it that's already built in. Um, you can let that run for 12 hours if you want. You know, you could also take a larger camera and run around with it too with, you know, a four hour battery in the back of it and let it run for days if you want, basically. But yeah, again, it really depends on what the purpose of that camera is. It's not like you're going to buy a Prius to, to work on a construction site. You're going to buy a truck to do that. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. So it's just a tool. It is just a tool. It's a You're tool. right. Yeah. So, then, oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, inside that toolbox of that camera, there's there's different tools built into there. And depending on what job you're doing, that's that's how you determine what you need. Okay. So, I, I guess what we need to talk about then is, um, let's talk about the, the really nerdy stuff when it comes to cameras. <laughs> uh, the, the nerdy stuff with all the things. <laughs> Numbers, yeah, because <laughs> uh, you know I, I've always been curious about why is it a big deal when it comes to dynamic range? Because with 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 us we're high volume, so all we do is we shoot neutral for our uh, picture style, right? And then that's it. We just adjust in post. But the, that's the reason why I love Canon is because it's easier for me to just bump up everything and it looks yeah. great. Why? Well, no, no, not why, but let's talk about dynamic range. Can you explain to to me and <laughs> to the other <laughs> listeners who have no idea what they're doing, yeah. what the dynamic range is and what it what you need to look for? Yeah, so whenever you hear the term dynamic range, uh, what you're talking about is the the brightest brights in the image compared to the deepest shadows. So if you have a limited dynamic range, sometimes if you shoot something, the, the highlights will clip a little bit earlier, which means if you're shooting out of a interior, like in the space we're in right now, and you go stand in front of the window, and I have to set exposure for your face, if I have a limited dynamic range, the bright window in the background is going to go completely white. However, if I have a wider dynamic range, I actually get more detail in the highlights and more detail in the shadows. So if you are standing in front of a bright window and I have a wider dynamic range, I can get the detail in your face and on your, like you have a, like a black jacket and a black shirt. I can get the detail in there and still capture the detail outside of that window. So what happens is with a wider dynamic range, you just get, you're able to get detail in the shadows and the highlights all into one frame or one image. Whereas if you have a limited dynamic range, sometimes you have to set your exposure for one or the other. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so when it comes to that, th- does that involve uh, the 10 bit and the 8 bit? Is it part of the dynamic range? No, that usually has to do with color. See, I'm so stupid. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, Paul, you're not stupid. I think I am. <laughs> Dang it, Paul, you're not dumb. <laughs> um, so, so when you talk about color or bit depth, that usually has to do with uh, more or less the amount of colors. So, for instance, if you're shooting a sunset and you're at an 8-bit color depth, what will happen is from where the sun is going down over the horizon, it's super bright compared to say the top of the image, which may be darker because you know, the sky just gets darker and darker as the sun goes around or the earth goes around the sun, right. Or spins on its axis. So what happens is you'll start to see like gradations. You'll see a line where it's like super bright blue to eh, a little bit shade darker. And then there's a line and then it's, Oh, a little bit shade darker. And then it, you, you basically see the banding is what it's called. So you'll see a shade, it'll band, you'll see another shade, and it, it almost, it's almost like watching or playing um, Super Mario Brothers versus a PlayStation 4. So what happens is if you have a wider or a deeper uh, bit depth, you're going to have more colors to choose from. It's like playing with the 64 crayon box versus the 24 crayon box. So if you see that sun go down and you see that gradation in the screen from the brightest bright to the darkest dark, if it's all the same color, you won't see that banding in there. It'll just smoothly transition into the darker part of the image. Okay. And that usually has to do with 10 or 12 bit. And some cameras actually go up to like 16 bit color depth, which is a whole lot of information. Um, but the other thing to consider too, is if you have a 12 bit signal versus a 10 bit signal, you're dealing with a heck of a lot more information in that 12 bit than in that 10 bit. And then we go back to that original question of who's your client. Are they even going to be able to tell? Like if you watch things most of the time on your TV, if it's streamed or over the air, it's usually in a smaller bit depth or a smaller bandwidth. So even all that information that you capture sometimes won't even translate to, to what you finish on. So a lot of times there's, you know, a little bit of debate because if you want to shoot at a deeper bit depth, a, it's a lot more processing. It's a lot more information. It's basically costlier at the end of the day, but you technically quote unquote future proof it for something in the future that can express that color, express that bit depth at the end user's level. So when, whenever we send our clients, um, their videos, they usually watch it on their TV or their computer. Yeah. What so what 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 bit do I need to consider to just cater to that? To be honest with you, most of the time an 8-bit will will usually do just fine. That's it? Usually, okay. Usually, usually. And again, there's a caveat to everything. So, a lot of times if you're going to shoot broadcast, broadcast technically requires a 10-bit, a 422 10-bit signal. Whereas if you shoot an 8-bit, you can you can do little tricks where you can send it into a file, wrap it in a 10-bit, and then it gets delivered that way. But at the end of the day, um, like broadcast-based cameras that deliver over the air, their minimum is 10-bit. Okay. Most of the time. Minimum requirement, right? But it f- So, for example, we, we shot a, a wedding proposal using a Canon T3i, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it got featured on TV, Yeah, but it was okay. No one exactly. said, like, oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think it's if you're producing a show at NBC and you want to deliver that, you know, tape to go to air, there's, there's like, a requirement for that. And a lot of it just has to do with, 
it prevents people from shooting something on a toy camera and passing that off as, you know, something professionally done, so to speak. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a quality line there. Okay. Yeah. So what, what bit are phones in? I think it depends on which phone. And then the other thing to consider, like, I don't know, man. I think my iPhone's 8-bit. I couldn't even Let's look it up. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> if there was hey. only a device we could use to look these up. Hmm. I'll see my encyclopedia. Are you going to Wikipedia that? 32-bit? No. You're looking at... Blake's iOS specification grid. iPhone 8 Plus. 64... Hmm? Data with cache. Oh, then never mind. <laughs> No one cares, and they're never going <laughs> to shoot with their phones. <laughs> or will they? Maybe. Maybe they will. Okay, so um, now I want to ask, I really want to ask you the difference between why is it such a big deal when it comes to sensors with a full-frame camera and a mirrorless camera, like DSLR and mirrorless? Like, what's the, what's, what's the deal with that? So the biggest, the biggest difference between, say, a mirrorless and a DSLR DSLRs are going to have the mirror box. They're going to have the mirror hole assembly in there, and that actually takes space in the camera body. Mirrorless cameras, uh, the image that you see through the EVF or the viewfinder, instead of a DSLR, which you're actually looking through what the lens is actually seeing, the mirrorless cameras have to take the image off of the image sensor itself and reproduce it on like like a tiny television in the viewfinder. So you're looking at what the, the image is or you're looking at what the image sensor is reading as opposed to the actual light coming through the lens. Uh, mirrorless are usually a little bit smaller. Uh, they're a little bit lighter. For instance, like Canon's new one, you know, has a, has a shallower flange depth. So the mount is actually closer to the image sensor. Uh, a lot of people like that just because it's smaller, it's lighter. To be honest with you, the image quality, there's really not that much difference between the mirrorless and the mirrored cameras. I mean, they're, they're virtually indiscernible. But when you talk about like a full frame versus a crop sensor, sometimes you'll see a little bit of a difference in between um, the full frames in essence will by nature almost give you a, a brighter image or respond a little bit better to low light. Just in general, because of the wells are a little bit bigger, the photosites are a little bit bigger. Um, the other thing is too, if you take, you know, a cropped sensor versus a a full frame sensor sometimes depending on which camera it is you can see a little bit more detail um, and a lot of it really just has to do with which image sensor you're using too because sometimes the newer sensors are a little bit uh, <clears throat> a little bit more sensitive than the older sensors are and then when that happens you also have processing that happens inside the camera so it can take say like newer cameras you can shoot at 3200 ISO versus 800 or 400 from say your T2i so if you take that 400 or 800 ISO image and you compare it to, you know, like one of the newer cameras at 3200, that 3200 is going to look probably just as good, if not cleaner than an 800 from five years ago. And all it has to do is just image sensors and image processors just getting better and better and better as the years go by. Okay. So, um, cause I've been, I actually posted a question online mm -hmm. asking them, well, number one for money, but then number two, <laughs> I was asking them what 
made people from full frame go to small sensors and then what made people go f- go back to full frame and they were saying um depth of field yeah what That's what, what is that uh i probably can't explain it in the best way but essentially when you you look at a larger image sensor compared to a smaller image sensor um just that that extra width of where the image lands compared to the light coming in through the lens uh, yeah, I'm definitely not going to explain this as well as I probably should. <laughs> uh, you do tend to get a little bit more depth of field, or excuse me, a little bit shallower depth of field out of it. Uh, it's almost like if you take a telephoto lens versus a wide-angle lens. Telephoto lenses are going to be able to you know, compress the background a little bit more than, say, a wide-angle lens will. Where usually if you shoot the same shot on a 200-millimeter versus a 24-millimeter, 24 mil is usually going to have almost everything in focus, unless you're like right up on that right up on that lens uh like the 70 to 200 people love to shoot headshots with it or interviews with it because it throws the background just nice i love that lens yeah it's a sexy lens I'm a it's fan. a really sexy lens if i were a lens and i ever saw that lens i'd be like what's up 7200 <laughs> how you doing how you doing <laughs> so okay yeah i love shooting with a 70 to 200 because number one I could shoot from afar, like from a distance. I could shoot, right. so I'm not interfering with anything. And then number two, it's so the barrel also. Le- actually, let's talk about barrels. Let's talk about barrels. not not <laughs> bourbon barrels. I'd love to talk about that, but Wh- whiskey barrels. <laughs> let's talk about the differences between uh, the barrels. All right. So, you know the, the like the the white barrels, the cannon barrels. You know how they're all white. Uh, a lot of it has to do with temperature. So the reason why they're white is they don't soak in all of the heat from the sun if you're outside. And when you get to a longer lens, usually you don't see it in the, the like shorter lenses, like a 24 to 70 or wide angle lens. It's usually in the longer lenses because even the heat that uh, that lens would generate just from being out in the sun, you know, it, it will expand and contract ever so slightly, which could possibly, from what I've heard, throw your focus off a little bit, which is why like like usually our our lens barrels are white and that's essentially the reason why um when you ask let's talk about lens barrels what specifically were you i am wondering about the the actually it's probably not a barrel thing but more of like the glass thing when it comes to shooting things Mm -hmm. like if i'm shooting a landscape what kind of lens should i use or if i want to make just like what you said the 70 to 200 people use that a lot because it this depth the shallow depth of field is nice and also it shows the subject in a different way as opposed to if you shoot them with like a 24 70 right yeah well in essence longer telephoto lenses will do what they call compress the background and it essentially just has to do with almost your angle of view from where you are to where your subject is so if you shoot on a longer lens like if you ever see those shots where the sun is setting and the sun looks 15 times larger than the tree that's in front of it, a lot of times it's because they're on a super long lens. So the further back something is, the more like the brighter, so or excuse me, the larger it would appear. So that's one advantage of shooting on a long lens versus a like a shorter lens or a, a wider lens. Um, the other thing that has to do, have you you know the term rectilinear? So rectilinear is a, is a term used for, and it usually happens in wide angle lenses where like if you have a fisheye lens, everything just gets rounded out on the edges, right? Cause it's, you know, 
essentially what a fish would see, so to speak. But if you have a rectilinear lens, that means those edges, like if you shoot the edge of a doorway and it lines up right on the inside edge of your shot, that doorway is going to be completely vertical. It's not going to curve top to bottom. So every time you hear the term rectilinear, that's usually what happens inside that lens. It's got a correction element that will take that light and stretch it out corner to corner so it's vertical. Um, the other thing to think about, too, is every lens is made a little bit differently. So you, sometimes longer lenses have different what they call lens groups inside. So you got like a focusing group, a magnification group. I mean, there's elements that are concave and convex that are slapped together. If you get into the diffractive optics world, that's anytime you see that green ring on a telephoto lens, that's a DO or a diffractive optics lens. So it's actually carved and, and basically molded into the lens behind it, which is great because you get a longer, longer throw or a longer distance, like a 400 mil DO lens is shorter and lighter than a 400 mil L series lens. And it has to do with that element that's in there. And what's kind of cool is there's an offshoot of that where, like, even the corners, you don't get as much, um, uh, what would it be, like, diffraction in the corners, so to speak. They're actually cleaner in the edges. Um, and then once you get into the stabilization, actually a little bit different in telephoto versus wide-angle lenses, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's why um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, anytime you see a longer lens, usually it'll have an IS on it. Sometimes the wider ones don't because you just, you don't see that as much. It's not as noticeable just because of the, uh, um, what would it be? The, uh, the pivot point versus the subject. Um, yeah. So every lens, literally every single lens is made differently. There's, there's just depending on what it's coming into. And then once you get into some of the newer lenses, like with the, the shorter mount, the, the rear elements are actually bigger, so you get less diffraction on the corners because it doesn't have to stretch the light as far to hit the edge of the sensor. I mean, it's it's coming a long way, and lenses are just getting better and better and better. Like, if you take an old, like, 85 mil versus a new 85 mil, the new one's going to be sharper. The new one's going to focus faster. The new one's going to have, you know, less aberration on the corners. And it's just because, you know, just technology and coatings and the way they're built is just getting better, more efficient, better, better image, better, 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 better. better. So you're saying, um, so I feel like for me to invest in something, you should consider the lens lineup of a brand in, as opposed to the camera. Yeah. I think once, and it's, it's a little bit different now. I mean, like Metabones will make adapters for like the Canon mount or the Nikon mount, I think, and put them on different cameras. What it really comes down to is the way the camera and the lens can communicate. So, for instance, the autofocus on, you know, like an off-brand on uh, one camera is a little bit faster than it would be on the brand-specific lens and camera. And a lot of it just has to do with the way they're, the way they're designed and how they communicate. Um to be honest with you, most lenses are, they're all good once you get up to a certain point. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have, you know, the market share that they have or the branding would have the market share that they have. But when it comes down to it, like there's certain lenses that just autofocus faster on certain camera bodies, you know, brand for brand than like an off-brand lens on a, on a branded camera body, if that makes sense. Yeah. Without saying any specific names or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um but yeah, sometimes sometimes your your camera body choice would be determined on your lens choice too. Because once you get into that world and you go down that family chain, 
you know, if you're, if you're $30,000 deep in lenses, sometimes it's going to determine which camera body you're going to choose. Yeah. It's kind of hard to dump everything and then start all over sometimes. But you know, if it's worth it, then it's worth it. You know? Yeah. I wonder now, um, when it comes to, since we're talking about the bodies of the cameras, some, some camera bodies have, uh, internal IS, right? Right. And then some lenses have their own IS, but are they, do they always have the same? Like, I guess my question is, which cameras should you prioritize when it comes to IS? Mm -hmm. Should you prioritize in-camera IS or lens? To be honest with you, I don't know enough about in-camera IS to really be, you know, like a, a gavel-pounding answer on that one. Um, what I do know is that, like I said before, like the IS is a little bit different in each lens. Like the telephoto lenses just respond differently. In-camera stabilization, um, I only know of one camera, or I know of a camera that we have that has it. Um, but I haven't, to be honest, I just haven't played around with it. I haven't tested it. It's got to be good. Otherwise, it wouldn't put it in there, right? Yeah. Uh, it's got to work to some degree on top of the fact that if you had in-body stabilization, that would only be an extra stabilization for your camera. Yeah. Okay. Didn't, didn't so, really Carl Sagan that one very well. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. No, no. Actually, it because I'm just trying to get to what what people should prioritize. Right. But the one thing I will say, um, and I'm sure you, you go down this road quite a bit too, is whatever you're doing, always test out gear if you can before you use it. You know, like I always think it's a good idea. A lot of places, like even if you go to buy it, they'll let you rent it for a day and then apply that to your, your purchase, especially if you're buying a big lens or, you know, a big purchase. Um, or, you know, go to a rental place and rent it. Cause sometimes that, you know, a hundred dollar rental will save you a couple thousand if you don't like it. Oh yeah. I always say that. And a lot of it, um, it definitely happens in the cinema world a lot. Like anytime you see a big production come, come to town, so to speak, they always do, always do camera tests. They got to see what the camera can do. They got to see what it does and whatever situation they're shooting in the color palette that they can choose. Um, if you're going to make that big purchase, if you can test it out, that's, my always that's that's always my advice uh, i i was going to talk to you about that in the the end of the interview but thanks for ruining my <laughs> 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 thanks for ruining the interview gosh <laughs> so uh, overheating yeah why do some cameras overheat like wh why are we even considering these cameras that overheat and what causes them well i think initially for the longest time, the overheating issue would happen on like early DSLRs that shot video. And a lot of it would happen is because the original camera design probably wasn't meant to be shooting for 20, 30 minutes at a time or sending the voltage through that sensor for that long on top of running the processor for that long and the LCD screen staying lit for that long. Uh, on top of the fact that a lot of DSLRs have, you know, a fair amount of weather sealing, which means nothing can come in, but then again, nothing can go out too. So I know there were issues with certain cameras back in the day of, uh, perceived overheating and then actual overheating. Um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't heard of that in a while. I think what has happened is <laughs> over the last four or five, six years, camera companies have been like, Oh yeah, I think people are shooting video with these. So, uh, we're going to make them okay. So a lot of times you get a little bit lighter codec inside like an MP4 codec or, 
actually mostly MP4s, if I'm correct. I don't know every camera manufacturer off the top of my head and what codec, but it's usually a lighter codec uh, because it uses less processing inside. And, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, the perceived generalization would have been because they weren't specifically made to shoot video. They just happened to shoot really good video. So people were shooting video on them and treating them like a video camera, which most videos can most video cameras are going to have like a built-in heat sink. 4k video cameras are going to have vents and a fan that, that cools off the processor. Whereas, you know, sometimes when you're shooting video for a long time, things get hot, man. Hot and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a big hot, camera. So it gets hot, really hot. And oh yeah. It's so hot in there. Why don't you open that door? Take that battery out, big boy. Yeah. <laughs> Flip that screen open. Yeah. On okay. Top of, yeah. When it comes to ISO, yeah. like, because uh, I have Canon and it goes up to 20, well, depending on which camera you have. Uh, 5D like, Mark IV. It goes like up 50, to. It's either 51,000 or 102,000 on the extended range, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I never use it. Yeah. Well, I use it once and I'm like, oh my God, it's terrible. <laughs> So what what should people consider when it comes to ISO and how far should you push it? Like I'm pretty sure there's like a setting for ISO that for universally for cameras that you can't really like try not to push it too hard because it's you're just going to show everything that's not needed to be shown. So you mean mean like seeing through clothes? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Uh, every, every camera is different and every camera manufacturer is different. Um, like for instance, like I said before, your newer camera is going to give you a cleaner ISO than than an older camera. And this always comes down to, to testing your camera first. A it's, it's subjective in a way because what you think is a noisy image may not be what somebody else thinks is a noisy image. Um, depending on what you can get away with. The other thing is, too, a lot of times that higher ISO is in there just in case you need it. Like if you're in a world where something happens and you just you have to push it past the limit as long as you get that image, sometimes that image is worth looking at all that, you know, image noise to get that image. Most of the time, you know, like on, on the camera, like your 5D4, you can go up 4, 8, 1600, 3200, looks pretty clean on that one. Whereas, like, if you take your T2i and you, I don't think your T2i even goes to 3200 in video mode, if I remember right. I think it might. I think 3200. It, it might be the limit then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because usually video is is a little bit less range than the photo range. But yeah, if you if you compare those two, yeah, that newer one's gonna look way cleaner. And then on top of the fact, this isn't really set in stone, but a lot of times if you keep it within a stop, you know, usually it's you can see it a little bit cleaner. I mean, it's not, you know, I it's. I don't really see the difference, but I've heard people say it before. It's like 400, 800, 1600, 3200. Keep it within those. And, you know, it'll yeah. Be- and they're, they're also saying, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth, but I, I just realized that people were saying you need to shoot, if you're shooting uh, 24p, you should at least shoot 50 shutter. And your ISO has to be 160 and like 160 increment. Is that true? You know, I. Have you ever heard of that before? Well, the shutter, I can tell you, that's that's kind of a rule of thumb. That's The shutter is your 180-degree shutter rule. And the origin of that comes from the old like circular disc shutters. 
So if you had a 180 degree shutter, it would be like a half of a disc spinning on, on a pin that would just rotate. And it would usually hit like two times per frame. So that's why if you're at a 24, uh, 24P, you're shooting in 24P, you want to keep that shutter at 48. And the closest thing on a DSLR is a 50th. So what happens is the motion blur that happens in between there is very, um, I don't want to say comfortable. It's, it's something that we're used to seeing. So when you go to a movie theater and you watch a movie, it's usually in 24 frames, unless you're watching Lord of the Rings and, you know, 48. 48, yep. Yeah. So you're looking at 24 frames, and the shutter is most of the time at a 48th of a second. So the motion blur that you see in between frames is smooth. It's easy on the eyes. You're not looking at it weird. Whereas if you watch, say, um, this is an older movie. Do you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. At the beginning of it, when Tom Hanks is, you know, they're storming the beach and he gets shell shocked and you hear the the hiss in his ear or the ringing in his ear and then everything's very staccato looking. That's because they shot with a faster shutter speed. So it changes that motion blur. Um, What it is, is it's, you know, artistic look, so to speak, because they decided to go for the faster shutter speed to throw the audience off a little bit to show this disjointed situation that he's in or emotion that he's having. Um, but most of the time you're looking at that double your shutter speed for your frame rate. Okay. And as far as ISO, I've heard the same thing. Keep it at 160, 320. I've also heard 400, 800. Um, the only thing I can say for sure is at least on the cinema cameras for those, you definitely, you'll, you'll see it cleaner at like 800, 1632 as opposed to like 1250. Um, and it's, such a slight difference that unless you're pixel peeping and you're looking right at the monitor and you're like, Oh my gosh, I see the look, then you can see it. But normally not so much. Okay. Yeah. I remember, um, the Spider-Man movie into the spider verse. They, they had a scene where Peter Parker is teaching Miles Morales how to sling his web. <laughs> and <laughs> to, yeah. yeah. We'll, and, just, we'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah. And then, um, Half of the frame was, uh, I think, less than 24 frames, just so just to show that he's still trying to learn. And then Peter Parker's like 24 frames. Right. So it really is. It really depends on the artistic. Yeah. You know. And then the other thing too, if you are shooting video and you want to be able to grab, do a frame grab out of it, like uh, for instance, we had a camera that shoots 4K, and you know I had a client that would just I would be like, dude, set the shutter to 2,000. Because what will happen is if you're shooting like 4K at 60, you can literally pick that frame and you're, you're over eight megapixels per frame and the shutter is going fast enough that you could pull that off and get a, an amazing still out of it. So what I would suggest if you're shooting video for the specific purpose of getting that, that frame grab, granted, if you're at a 48th of a second, it's technically kind of a slow shutter speed for motion anyway. But if you are shooting it specifically for a frame grab that you can pull a photo out of, you know, I'd say go for a faster shutter because you're going to capture that. You're not going to get as much motion blur at a faster shutter. And then you can just take that frame and you can make a photo out of it. Okay. That explains why when we were starting out, when I started to go a little bit more ham with social media. So I just tried to like grab old, wedding videos oh, yeah. and then just do grab like stills yeah. and it yeah let's just say it it wasn't up to my <laughs> up <laughs> let's to just my say standard. there were some that were better than others 
but once in a while you're going to get that one shot that you know the cake and the fade or the whatever um but yeah specifically sometimes like for instance we had a camera that would shoot 60p 4k and it's literally eight plus megapixels 60 frames a second and if your shutter is is faster than that you're literally looking at a magazine cover 60 times a second per frame so there's advantages to it i mean i'm not gonna lie there's advantages but again it all depends on what a your deliverable is and what you're shooting and where it's gonna end up okay so for codex uh you you were talking about h265 yeah would you know of the other codecs that are in existence? Yeah, I mean, it. For in general, for the most part, uh, H.264 is, is a codec that's pretty widely used. Like, anytime you see, like, an MOV file or, or anything like that, uh, H.264 is, is just, it's kind of a variable. So you can have, uh, and this is something, like, if you really, if you want to open up, like, Adobe Premiere and you look at the output, you can kind of see where that range falls into place. Um a little bit of a variable. I mean, your shutter speed's always going to be the same. Your your frame rate's always going to be the same. Your resolution's going to be the same. Uh, the bigger the file, the smaller the file, depending on the compression of it. Um, you'll like if you compress a file more and more and more. Sometimes you see what's called macro blocking, um, and essentially it's just kind of like taking your image, and since it's taking you know a ton of information, literally two thousand pounds of information, and putting it into a hundred and eighty pound capsule. You're going to have to to sample certain amounts of that original information into smaller chunks. So what happens a lot of times in compression is you'll take uh, a small section, say, I'll just say a 64th of that image. And if that one 64th covers 500 pixels, now it's one pixel. So you can take that chunk of information and fit it into a smaller space. What happens in H.265, which is a pretty new codec. Um, Do you know which cameras have that? I know one, like our uh, our Canon um, XF705 shoots in it. Uh, I think, and I might be wrong on this, I think there's, I think a Panasonic shoots in it too. But it's not not worldly widely accepted right now, just because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a newer codec. Give it. <laughs> a month and it'll you know it'll be everywhere yeah i mean you can still edit with it in certain programs but what it does is it's it takes instead of a specific size chunk like if you take a frame of video and instead of drawing a, uh, a grid on it with each size being the same specific shape what it will do is it can do like a variable so it instead of a 164th chunk of the image it can do like a quarter of that whole image in one chunk if it needs to. And then there's little vectors which tell it, you know, there's like predictable information that, you know, if it sees an object moving, the processor can see like, oh, that soccer ball is going in this direction. So what I can do is I can more or less take that direction and and kind of predict where it's going to go. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but there's a difference between MP4 or uh, H.264 and H.265, where there's more vectors in 265. There's a variable, um, uh, can't remember the term off the top of my head, but it's a variable chunk of that image that gets imaged and processed. So it's a lot more processor intensive, that's for sure. Um, but you can take that same amount of information and put it into the same space that, like you can take a 4K image and put it in the same exact space as an HD image. So 20 minutes of 4K will fit in the same sp- size as 20 minutes of HD. And that's kind of a big deal, especially when it comes down to 
the future of streaming and the future of deliverables, so to speak. So you can shoot in a 4K, and then you can actually deliver it over a bandwidth that is normally designated to HD. So okay. what we're going to be looking at in the future is something that you know you're going to get like a wider dynamic range, and then you get more color gamut, and then you get more resolution because it's more efficiently compartmentalized. So I was going to ask about that, like color grading is going to change once H.265 becomes mainstream? Not so much the color grading, but as, as far as processing that image. Um, like, for instance, uh, DaVinci Resolve, the paid version, can process H.265 all day, whereas like Adobe Premiere doesn't do it yet. And it's something that, you know, like I said, give it, <laughs> give it a month, and I think everything will, will start to catch up. Um, but it's, it's nice. It's, it's really effective. It's, I, at least as far as I can tell, it's kind of the direction things are going to go in. And it's almost like looking at that mini DV tape from years ago. Each tape was, uh, I think it was 11 or 12 gigs of information. And yeah, about an hour's worth of yeah, video, an hour on 12 gigs. Whereas now if you shoot, depending on what your compression rate is, whether it's IPB or all I or anything like that in your DSLR, you can shove that information in much smaller space because that was, that was, uh, gosh, that wasn't even HD, man. No. That was Seven, standard definition. Wide screens. 12 gigs for an hour. Whereas now you can probably take a full hour and maybe four gigs. Because I think when I shoot... I a shoot full a hour of HD. I think so, if I remember right. Um, and again, it just depends on, on your bit rate too. Okay. Because anytime you go into the camera... Um, depending on which camera you have, you know, there's different bit rates where you can go like 25 megabits a second, 35, uh, I think it goes down to 12 or 16 or something like that. And all that it has to do with is, you know, the image sensor is still capturing the same image and it's going through the processor. The processor is just writing it into a smaller file. And a lot of that just has to do with, you know, that compression we were talking about. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> Because Professor Frank like laugh, make you think. <laughs> so I can I do the rest of the interview like that? Sure, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that since H.265 takes a lot more processing, only the the more expensive cameras have it right now. To be honest with you, I don't know of really that many cameras that have it out there. Um, I know one camera that does, and. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I'm going to say one and a half cameras because I think one other camera does it, but I just don't know which one off the top of my head. It's more of like the CCTV cameras. Yeah. Because yeah. of the streaming. Yeah. As far as like mainstream cameras go or cameras that you can just go in and buy or, or order, like the cameras that you and I would use, that, you know, it's, you're going to, you're going to see it start to come in. But again, it's almost like, um, what the initiative for 4k has really been blasted out for a couple of years now, but in the real world, you're mostly watching HD on your TV. So it's, you're going to see it come in. Okay. Well, it looks, yeah, I could see the macro blocks and CTUs up to 64. Yeah. In fact, I remember if I remember right, it was four or five years ago when I first read about H265. And I remember what they said. It was like, oh, you can get a 4K image in the size of an HD image. And I was like, shut your face. You cannot. It was almost the same day. I don't, this is going to date myself, but I remember being at CES the time that they introduced a one gig SD card. 
And we were all like, that's ridiculous. No way. Absolutely wrong, sir. And then I flipped my phone open and I number texted my mom. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then I watched my CRT TV. I watched Friends on it. (laughs) And Seinfeld right after. Seinfeld. Oh, Seinfeld. Um, Okay, so it says here... uh, Minimum upload speed for H.265 is 15 Mbps for a 4K. But for H.264, it's 32 Mbps. So, yeah. Sounds about right. It is the future. (laughs) Welcome to the future. It's like Total Recall right now. Right now. So, for for someone who's starting out, let's Mm -hmm. make it a little bit bit more basic with a recap. For someone who's starting out, you've been immersed in this wedding videography world ever since you met me. I think you were my first. Uh, I was your first, <laughs> and I was. Yeah, I, I think so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were. You were actually. I think you were my first client, man. Yeah, you're like one of my first clients. So that's great. Yeah, I'm so sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> so since one thing you, led to another, here we are. <laughs> so since we've been in this world for at least four years, three right? or four, yeah, somewhere in there. What have you been? What What have you? Scene, because I'm pretty sure there's a difference between when you go to Sundance and when you go to like a wedding videography convention, like, like uh, WPPI. You, you, WPPI. Or, yeah. So the biggest difference, like for instance, if you go to Sundance, you know we're we're showing off cinema cameras that you know shoot 15 stops, dynamic range. You're shooting raw video, which you know it's like what is it, 20 minutes per terabyte, give or take, depending on your frame rate. Um, you're also looking at images that are being professionally color graded. So you're shooting in, you know, a log gamma curve, which makes the image look completely flat, but all that information's in there and you get that, those highlight and that shadow detail. Um, you're also looking at an industry that takes that image and projects it onto a hundred foot screen. Um, when you get into the wedding world, you know, I think most of your clients, like you said, you know, you're going to give them. Do you give them DVDs or you just give them files? We give them Blu-ray. We give them, right. um, and they watch it in a wind-up TV, just a really old <laughs> Lumiere camera. <laughs> they watch it in the Model A, is what you say? <laughs> uh, yeah. So your your delivery is different. You know, you're you're shooting it. You're on the fly. Your turnaround is super fast. You don't have two years to to shoot, edit, cut, finish, distribute. Some code. some do. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a feeling you guys get it done in less time. So your turnaround is faster. To be honest with you, your clients are happy, happy as can be with the images and everything that you give them, right? So it's totally different. And you're not charging $6 million a wedding, right? So there's, there's definitely a different world that, you know, it, again, it comes down, <laughs> comes down to like who your delivery is, what you're doing, da, 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 all that stuff again. But if you're just starting out, you can shoot amazing video on a DSLR camera. You can shoot amazing video on a mirrorless camera. You can shoot amazing video on a cinema camera. Uh, it just depends on how much, you know, how much effort you have going into the original image, how much effort you need to, to finish and edit that image, how much drive space and processing power you need, how much time you have. And then a lot of times if you shoot on a DSLR, that image looks great coming right out of the camera. So you don't have to you don't have to mess with it that much and you can just drop it straight in, cut it to where you need to put, put a track on the back of it. Um, you know, capture the moment, capture the S obviously there's, there's things that, that you can do much better than I could do. Um, 
but yeah it if you're if you're looking to shoot hd or even 4k there's tools out there that you can do it with and you can make it look amazing and it's going to look amazing for the next 20 30 years 40 years 100 years depending on what tvs are going to do in 100 years so i think the most important thing to consider is um weddings are run and gun so when you buy cameras you have to consider the run and gun part of it yeah run and gun which means lightweight easily accessible um something you can have five or six batteries rolling around ready to go um the other thing i don't know if you run into this or not uh like the white balance changes do you do you follow somebody indoors and then you have to change the stop and the balance and everything yeah there's certain tools and certain cameras that would give you what's called like a shockless white balance so you leave it in auto and you're outside and then as soon as you walk inside it'll adjust the white balance for you too and then there's other cameras that do everything fully automatic like you can literally just go <laughs> hit the record button and follow somebody and the autofocus will be there sometimes it'll do what you want it to do sometimes it won't um most of the time it won't <laughs> Uh, that's why, like, even in the cinema world, a lot of people, like, there's people who make an insane amount of money pulling focus because they do it exactly when they need to. They're precise. They're, they're with it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, have you ever like hung out on a film set and watched like, no, yeah. It's kind of amazing. The skill that some of these people have done and put together in their world. Like it's shocking. Like I try to pull focus myself. I'm no good. I'm so not good at it. I, now I really want to try it because I feel like my <laughs> pulling focus is good. Like, cause I've, I've, Should I've shot like with focus, I've, focus Olympics. <laughs> let's do a focus off. <laughs> <laughs> cause I, I've been shooting manual for years. Yeah. I've never, yeah. you, uh, except for XHA one, right. because it was, it's like the autofocus for that thing sound amazing. Right. But I've never, I've never really relied on autofocus. That's why for me, Autofocus isn't really a huge deal, right? But I guess when it comes to the wedding planners here, you guys need to leave because we're gonna letting the guests in, and you have like three minutes to shoot. Just doing that quick autofocus right. is gonna help a lot, but it's not never a big deal for me. Yeah, like the the people who shoot reality TV, they actually tend to rely on it sometimes too. And you know, it's funny. Like even in our our higher end cameras, we have autofocus, and you know, some of our clients are just like, I will never use that ever. And then some of our clients are like, heck yeah, I'm going to use that. Um, you know, especially if you ever shoot that interview and that shallow depth of field and that person's dipping in and out, you know, there's, you know, there's face detection and tracking and all that on there too, which makes your life a whole lot easier instead of just constantly pulling that, that focus pull right yeah. there. Um, yeah. Again, it's just a tool in the box, man. If you need it, you need it. If not. It's good to have. It's great. Is to that have. what you're saying? Yeah. It's okay. a great backup. Great backup focus puller, I guess. Do you think 4K needs to be considered when getting a camera? I think at this point it probably does. I mean, there for a while I would, I would, I would feel a little bit more on the side of, yeah, you don't need 4K. Because I've been telling you for four years, I'm like, man, nah, they're yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. So again, you know, it just depends on what you're going for. But you know, there is a world where eventually, you know, I think everything's going to go to 4K pretty soon. But it's, it's not, not all there yet. <laughs> but then again, you know, it's you're you're not looking at a huge price difference in between the 4Ks and the HD cameras now. You know, it's so then why is it a big deal when it comes to cuz I do Canon. Yeah. I have a 5D Mark IV right. and everyone's like why is it cropped? 
but we don't really like well, I'm talking about 4K like what why is it such a huge deal well I think the biggest there's there's two thoughts on it uh, the 4K is a bigger file so you're usually looking at you know more processing you're looking at a larger file at the end of the day more storage uh, your editor if you've ever tried to edit 4K on an older machine like an older Mac versus editing HD on an older Mac there's a world of difference that 4K is just going to stutter, stutter, and you know the HD is going to go very, very smoothly. Um, as far as the other thing, I mean, there's certain, you know, the way the sensors are made. Sometimes they'll do like a pixel for pixel 4K, you know, so that way there's no um, like pixel binning or line skipping or anything. It's just like an original image coming out of it. Um, but to be honest with you, uh, it just kind of comes down to preference, really. You know, if you want to shoot everything in 4K you're going to double your file size. You're going to double your, what you need to process Ugh. that image. If, you know, to, if you're, your HD, I've seen your videos. They look awesome. They look amazing. Thank you. The only way I could make it any better is to buy a 4K monitor and shoot it in 4K and finish it in 4K, which you just up the cost of your production about ten to $20,000. I just bought an NAS you know, NES, the... No. Nintendo Entertainment System? <laughs> Super Mario? Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System. <laughs> no, NES is... Uh, it's the storage. Right. Yeah, I know. I okay. Know. I was just messing. Okay. So, the, it's a... I, I bought a two-bay 16-terabyte NES for $1,200. Nice, man. I couldn't imagine myself shooting in 4K, yeah. outing in 4K, and spending more. So, yeah, I for me as a business owner, I think I'm fine with HD yeah. for now. Well, I mean, think of it this way: How long did it take to get uh, HD to be broadcast? The initiative set, I think there was like an eight or nine year span between. Really, I think and I may be wrong on this, which I'm sure somebody will correct whatever it is that I'm saying right now. Uh, there was there was a long time before the initiative was pushed, and then it actually went, you know, more or less. Uh, mainstream so and then all of you know i don't know about you but once in a while i'll watch an old episode of seinfeld and it looks fine on my hd tv yeah you know so yeah. again it it all depends on what your client needs but you know if you want to if you want to quote unquote future proof whatever you're doing whether or not that's a, a viable term you know you can spend six dollars more and get an eight or a 4k camera and I think it's a little more than six dollars. I may be off, but you know, it's it's not that much. It just a lot of it depends on your workflow too. It's good to have. Yeah. Okay. So if and, you need it, if you need it. Okay. And also, I I feel like we need to say that before you buy a camera, make sure you rent it. I wouldn't say you don't have. Yeah, I wouldn't say you have to. It's usually a good idea if you have the means to do it, because that way you know exactly what that camera is going to do. You're not going to have any crazy weird surprises. Um, you know, again, it. I don't think it's feasible for everybody to do it. A lot of times, you know, if if you walk into like Sammy's or whatever and they got cameras there, they're all there for a reason because they're all good enough to be there. Um, but every camera has its own personality. Every camera does things a little bit differently. Some shoot clean ISO at 3200. Some don't quite do that. And sometimes you need that 3200 if you're shooting an F4 at sunset and you need to really crank it up. Um, other cameras, their color science is different than other cameras. You know, 
sometimes you know the 8-bit looks really good on one camera versus an 8-bit on another camera and it's just weird every camera has its own quirks personalities and again it's you know i would always say if you can do it that way you know yeah. what you get into especially if you're dropping big money on a big lens or a big camera body or something yeah, that's so, right you know. so you could always go to conventions too and try yeah. them out right but yeah. i i would suggest because um i i just talked to lens rentals when i went to wppi and they yeah. actually gave me a code to hook up people oh cool if they want to try it out and i'll put it in the show notes but nice. I, I want i was wondering this this canon have a program like that so people could contact you and maybe try out cameras i think um and i may be i may be wrong on this but there's canon cps which is their their canon professional services once you get to a certain degree like a certain tier because they have a few different tiers i think once you're on the highest tier you do get that option to to try out something I think that's what i have yeah and then uh, every once in a while i get you know, like if, if a client is pretty serious about purchasing something, I have a sample. I'll be like, here, you can use it for a couple of days. Just, you know, test it out. Make sure it's what you want. Um, that's, you know, that's as far as I know. But usually when it comes down to, I know there's certain places that will like, will give you a credit onto uh, the purchase of it if you rent it first. So if you rent, say, a, a $10,000 camera, you rent it for 200 bucks a day or three or 400 whatever it is. A lot of times they'll take it off of the uh, purchase price of a camera. And I can't say that for everybody. I know it happens in, in a few places from time to time. Uh, sometimes it's their policy. Um, and the other thing is too, man, it's just, I don't know. It's like test driving a car before you buy a car. When you go to that car lot and they're like, hey, take it for the night and let us know what you think in the morning. That would be great. Same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just found out that Canon has an equipment evaluations loan for gold, platinum, and cinema yeah. members. Yep. So I don't have a link to hook you guys up, but <laughs> yeah, members man. may evaluate each item on the respective evaluation list for a period of 10 days. And uh, I'm glad you looked that up because I didn't know the exact specific of it and I didn't want to eat my own shoes so thank you thank you for doing that now i'm gonna eat your shoes great <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, hope oh, i didn't hey. step in anything before that <laughs> so okay so uh that's good to know um is there anything else that you should you feel like you need to tell these Every aggressive wedding videographers <laughs> um the next time they see you at a convention at a and convention. they're like why is it out of that son of a uh, hmm. Is there? Because I feel like you, you've you've know, seen. We, you, whenever you go to to all these conventions, do, do yeah. they have like w weird questions, or do they just choke you out? And <laughs> <laughs> actually, the weirder questions usually happen around like CES, you know, because it's it's oh. a little more a little more open to the public than okay. say WPPI. Normally, like I enjoy those shows quite a bit. Like NAB, we're gearing up for that. Um, you know, we're we're talking to professionals, people who do it for a living. So you're kind of on the same page. Um, I don't mind. Like I'd love CES too. It's just they're very long days, like long days, man. You walk out of that hotel at like <laughs> seven thirty in the morning or seven in the morning. Oh wow! And you don't come back until seven seven thirty at night. So CES is Consumer Electronics Show. Okay, it happens in Las Vegas usually the first or second week in January every year. Okay, is it okay? And then uh, <laughs> I was going to ask something, but I won't ask anymore. 
<laughs> okay. So um, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Let's tell people how to get hold of you and if you have any shows coming up. Oh, shows. Uh, you must be talking about the stand-up version. Yeah. 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 So if uh, the camera jokes go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves it. What's, what's the deal with autofocus? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know that I do I do a lot of stand up around town and sometimes around the country. But um, uh, let's see, I'd have to look up some dates. I might have to reach home. Or they could go to your website. Yeah, you can go to my website. It's t h e p e t e r m a r r dot com. It's the Peter Mar. Uh, all the dates are always updated on there. There's a couple of videos if you want to see it. Not too many camera things are on there. It's a little bit separate, but um, yeah, this I love doing all kinds of stuff. So I love working in the camera world and I also love telling jokes and taking the time to nitpick every little piece and detail and change one little word and then move it over and then it completely changes the whole stream of a joke and you know it's just the OCD in my brain that I think works for that but yeah, yeah. so also for when when you're on um, trade shows yeah do you would you like them to Uh, approach you when they have questions or oh, just course, leave you man. alone okay yeah by all means come up if you see the name tag just just choke me out so he's gonna be uh he's gonna be the really tall gentleman that kind of looks like me but i think we look exactly alike but uh, probably yeah i think i have more gray though my grays you do all over yours yeah. is yours is cleverly placed i know specifically it looks good on you man thank you yeah You're Silver too. Fox. <laughs> Silver Fox. Silver Fox. Okay, so, yeah, thanks. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. If you need anything else, let me know. Okay. Peace. Peace, Peace. out. Peace. Is, uh, how, how do we say goodbye without be saying goodbye? Ha bye. Bye. I hope this episode was able to help you out. If you're thinking, well, since he saved me time and money and he looks like he's always hungry, I wonder if there's a way I could give him a dollar for his trouble. You're in luck. I started a Patreon page and you could pledge as low as a dollar to show your support and keep the show going. So just head on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash wedding video boss you'll see the same sweet old podcast and more actually tons more different tiers can get you great things like transcripts of all the latest episodes this is for those who don't have time to listen for an hour there's also a facebook mastermind group that's limited to a number of patrons where we talk about business and i concentrate and help you build your business and I'm so excited for this one because it's extra episodes just for the hardcore fans. But if you like money and you just want to keep it to yourself, I'm throwing all these information goldness for free. So I'd really appreciate it if you help me out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review. Thanks so much to those who already did it. Thanks so much for listening. It means the world to me. Watch out for the next episode of the Wedding Video Boss podcast. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out. Out.